This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Philadelphia gets its first W, but not without some confusion at the center line. The goalie union youth movement is alive and well in the NLL. We'll chat with Cam Holding of the San Diego Seals, Pat Gregoire stops by, and live in studio, Ray Hodgkinson. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud Radio and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, great guest today in Ray Hodgkinson. Uh, you may have read his story on Lax All-Stars. If you haven't, um, by the end of the interview with him, you will most likely want to go and do that. Ray's story, um, we've talked about it here on this show. Uh, we mentioned that we'd get him in the booth, and we did. And he and I had a fantastic chat. We'll let you hear that whole interview. Um, it is a lengthy one, but sometimes we need to go a little long when our subjects have such great stories to tell. So we'll let you hear from Ray in a little bit. Also, Pat Gregoire will stop by. We're not going to do a weekly recap of the games this weekend just because the interview with Ray went so long, but... The games this weekend were some pretty darn interesting games. Uh, we had a low-scoring affair between Calgary and Vancouver. We had a shootout between Philadelphia and Rochester. The Mammoth lose a close one to Buffalo. Georgia wins two back-to-back games. The Rush lose their second game in a row. All things are crazy in the National Lacrosse League, and we'll talk to Pat Gregoire about this, but one team in the NLL West Division is above 500 that's right just one team conversely there's three teams in the east that are above 500 collectively there's three teams all told that are sitting at an at a nice even 500 so those numbers could be a little skewed if you take a win here or there but regardless the east is very tight and it's always tight but it's usually tight of the 500 winning percentage variety. This is tight with teams starting to run away with things. Toronto starting to run away as they pulled away from Saskatchewan. Georgia, two huge games this weekend. Buffalo, another big victory in front of a huge crowd. Those three teams are playing lights out lacrosse. And finally, after a couple weeks off, we'll get some San Diego lacrosse action. Longtime NLL veteran Cam Holding of the Seals will stop by. Uh, Cam took last year off rehabbing a knee injury that he suffered along with Dan Coates at the Team Canada camp. So he's having some fun in the sun when he gets there and he's not in Michigan. So we'll chat with him as well. Like I said, Pat Gregoire along with us as is Ray Hodgkinson in studio. So let's kind of jump into things. Uh, the Philadelphia Wings game, everybody remembers what happened. Everyone saw what happened. But not everybody saw everything that happened. And I think that's where there is a lot of confusion amongst all of us lacrosse fans. Because as we all know, lacrosse is an incredibly fast sport. And you can't see everything that happens all over the floor at all times. One of the big reasons is why they brought in a third official was so that they could see more. And so if we break the game down or that play down in parts, we can start to get, maybe get some answers. Now let's go 
at it backwards. We'll start with the Kevin Crowley play trying to reach for that loose ball that crossed across the center line. If nothing else had gone into factoring the play and there was no delayed penalty, then yes, that most likely 999 times out of 1,000 will get called back for over the back. As soon as Crowley puts his foot on that line, reaches out to touch the ball, as soon as he touches that ball and his foot's touched the line, it's over and back. However, many people will then say, but Teddy, there was a delayed penalty being called. Well, yes, there was a delayed penalty being called. However, it still would have been an over and back regardless of a delayed penalty. Yes, Philadelphia was going to go on a power play anyway. And there was a decent chance they were going to score in that power play, having gone one for two during the game. But if we go back even further to the initial shot by Matt Rambo, and if you have fast fingers and you can play it and then pause it, play it, pause it, play it, pause it, so you get essentially frame-by-frame lacrosse. The shot by Matt Rambo may have gone off Ian Lord. And I think that is where a lot of the confusion comes from. Because if it does indeed hit Ian Lord, then there is no back over. So that can really be the only answer as to why there was no back over. That's the only thing I can think of. It's the only reason they wouldn't have called back over because there was no reset. It just, that has to be the reason. That can be the only reason, and that was most likely why the official wasn't watching for over and back because he had his hand up for a delayed penalty. He was watching the play. If there was a deflection, then there's no over and back. Take whichever side of the argument you want. In the National Lacrosse League, where things are happening at 100 miles an hour, it's not easy to see everything. Some people see some things. Some people don't. It's not an easy game to officiate. Did the Wings deserve a bounce to go their way? Absolutely. Did they deserve to win a game? Absolutely. Unfortunately for Rochester, it came at their expense, and it came with a bit of confusion. But at the end of the day... I think the lacrosse gods work themselves out. Unfortunately for the Colorado Mammoth, things didn't quite work out their way. A tough loss to Buffalo. Uh, they were down 4 nothing. They tied it. They go down 3 or 4 again, then they tie it. And unfortunately, in the latter part of that game, they just couldn't keep up with the high power of the Buffalo Bandits, and it drops Colorado down to 1-5 and five on the regular season, bottom of the standings in the West. But this is a team that's close. And sure, their record doesn't exemplify how close they are. But when you go and you look at their schedule and you look at the games that they've lost, really the only game they weren't in was the initial game against San Diego when they got their butts handed to them. All the other games they've been in, they have been in. And it's just been for some mental mistakes, 
some key lapses at times that have cost them victories. And when a team is struggling, sometimes the general manager has to make moves. And we saw that already from interim GM Pat Coyle, who made the move to send Stephen Keogh back to Rochester, picked up a couple picks for him, and to soothe all the worries of Mammoth Faithful, this is not a fire sale, nor was it a panicked move. Kyle Killen and Ryan Lee are playing above expectation, and you're not going to be able to take them out of the lineup. You're not going to take Jacob Rue out of the lineup. And you really need Jeremy Noble producing and in the lineup. Now, Nobes hasn't scored since game one where he had a pair. He's still contributing with, I think, three, averaging three assists a game, which is great. But you have Jeremy Noble on the floor to score goals. And it's just not there for him. He's fighting it. He's clenching the stick a little too tight. Throw the cliches out there. But with the way that Ryan Lee and Kyle Killen have been playing, it made the move of trading Stephen Keel a little bit easier to make. And it's going to suck to see Stephen Keel back in Rochester colors as a mammoth guy and a mammoth broadcaster. But I think at the end of the day, it's a good deal for everybody. We'll ask Pat Gregoire about that in a minute. But this is a team that needs to figure it out. And I think there's still a lot of hope and belief and pride in that room. And they're going to go into Philadelphia this weekend to take on the Wings. A battle of the basement, as it were. And I think this is a huge game, as I've said many, many times for Colorado this season. They need to come away with a W in Philadelphia because they're going to come back home in two weeks to take on Georgia. And that's, as we know, not an easy task. Calgary and Vancouver put on an absolute defensive gem. And you got to give a lot of credit to Christian Del Bianco and Eric Penny, two young goaltenders who are really starting to find their own. Of course, we know what Christian Del Bianco can do. He is, as Jake Elliott likes to call him, the phenom. And the way he played and the way he has been playing the last few weeks, there's no doubt about it that he is one of the top three goaltenders in the National Lacrosse League right now. Guy makes 35 saves on 40 shots and allowed his team to settle down, get in a rhythm, play strong defense, and transition that up to the offense and allow a guy like Curtis Dixon to get three goals, a guy like Reese Dutch to chip in four points and get that offense with some chemistry, get that team with some confidence back in them, and they came away with a big win over Vancouver. But at the other end, it was Eric Penny who got the start over Aaron Bold, who made 42 saves. Now, on any given night where a guy makes 42 saves, only gives up eight, you'd probably expect to win. Unfortunately, at the other end was Delbs, who was doing everything he can to match Eric Penny's save for save. And another close game for Vancouver, much like Colorado, much like Philadelphia. Three teams at the bottom of the standings who have pretty much been in 90% of their games. And a couple bounces go the other way. All three of those teams have completely different records. 
I talked about the goal union off the top. Well, in that Georgia-Rochester game, the second game for both those two teams on the weekend, we got Kevin Orleman for Georgia, and we got Warren Hill for Rochester. Two young guys who are probably future starters in the National Lacrosse League as expansion happens. Really put on quite a display. And Orleman got the start. Warren Hill came in relief as Angus Goodleaf got pulled uh, after five shots and nine minutes of play. Warren Hill came in, faced 54 shots, stopped 42. Kevin Orleman in his first ever NLL start, faced 45 shots, gave up 12, got the victory. I think the future of the game of lacrosse really relies on the state of the goalie union. And I've often said this as we've talked about expansion. Yes, I want us to find top quality broadcasters to make sure the quality of lacrosse is portrayed properly. But most importantly, we need the players on the field to be of the utmost excellence. And my my biggest concern was where was the NLL going to find X amount of high-end, top-talent, number-one goaltenders. Well, as long as we allow guys like Orleman and Warren Hill and Eric Penny, a guy like Steve Fryer who's been waiting in the wings, Riley Hutchcraft in Toronto, as long as we allow these young goaltenders to get proper tutelage, proper mentorship, they're able to watch the game from the bench and soak up what it takes to be a number-one guy, give them a year or two in that role, it will allow them to become better starters. And I think that is where the future of the goaltender union is going to come is when these guys play a couple years as backups, then they get their shots with expansion clubs. I don't want to use Frank Chiliano as an example, but now he's shining after being a starter and then getting moved to an expansion team. But Frankie Chiliano was a backup for many years before he got to be a number one guy. Go down the list. There's only a few guys that came into the National Cross League as a goaltender and started right away and had immediate success. It's not an easy switch. And so it was awesome to see, you know, Christian Del Bianco continue to be incredible. Remember, folks, Christian Del Bianco will be the number one pick in Thursday's WLA draft. He's still junior age. He's becoming a senior age player for the first time this year. That's how young he is and he's already a top three goaltender in the NLL. But again, he had to wait. So with Eric Penny, with Steve Fryer, with Riley Hutchcraft, with Warren Hill, Kevin Orleman, Kevin's younger brother, there are great goaltenders coming up through the ranks. And so I think I can scratch off the board the worry of having quality goaltenders in the next four or five years as expansion happens, I think the goal union is in very good hands. we got a busy show, so let's move on to things. The San Diego Seals have been off for two weeks. They are the top team in the NLL West. They sit at 4-2. and two. This weekend, they get back at it. They'll take on Vancouver and Cam Holding. One of the veterans on that back-end group for head coach Pat Merrill. He's been around the league for a long time. But he had to take a year off, get himself healthy, and come back bigger, badder, stronger than ever. 
and he's excited to be a part of the SEALs team, and they're looking to get back on the floor after having a couple weeks off. Yeah, we've got a pretty close locker room, even though, uh, you know, we are an expansion team. It's our first year together, and we've kind of gelled together pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, having those two weeks off, you definitely feel it, and I know everybody's itching to get back. Um, so I think I'm actually flying out a day early. I'm heading out tomorrow. I know a bunch of other guys are doing the same, so we'll be able to meet up, go out for a meal, and, uh, you know, get back in the swing of things. I'm sure when uh, Steve Govett and Pat Merrill ask you guys to fly out to San Diego early, no one's really turning that down, are they? No, it was negative 10 degrees <laughs> here in Michigan last week, and I'm any any time they're asking me to go out there, I'm all about it. Yeah, you've uh, you've been doing some community work out there, helping uh, helping grow the game in San Diego. How has the local community taken to you guys? Yeah, I, I mean the community's been great. You saw we had our uh, like preseason inter-squad scrimmage, and we had about 5,000 fans there. Home opener, we had 11-5. So um, the community is behind us, and we're behind the community. So you can see, obviously, you're familiar with Steve Govett and uh, the way that he can, you know, uh, run an organization. And he's doing a great job, and the guys are in the community every day. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's going really well, and uh, the community seems to really like it. Oh, I heard your dog barking in the background. How's he doing? Uh, he's doing all right. Mailman's here, so. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect guard dog. Yeah, he's uh, doing a good job. You mentioned um, the close locker room, and obviously being an expansion team, that's always not an easy thing to do. Um, what has made this group so special so soon? I would say leadership from the top down. I mean, everything yeah. from our owner, Joe Sai. I mean, that guy's all in. Um, I know our first game in Denver, he actually rode the bus to us, or with us, to the game, and um, was talking to us and, and so it starts with him um, and then trickles down you know with guys like Steve and Josh and then obviously our coaching staff um, and shooter Pat and uh, Billy and then we have guys you know like Kyle Buchanan, um, Brody Merrill, Dan Dawson, um, some excellent you know veteran leaders on our team that are able to kind of mold our young guys in, in the right way and um, yeah it, so far it's, it's great it's a great vibe in our room. Even our, uh, you know, our young guys, Austin Stock, you yeah. know, that, that guy's a competitor and he's a great teammate. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was going to say some of those young guys aren't playing like young guys. No, not at all. I mean, um, yeah, the, the young guys, they're, they're playing like they've been there for a while. And, again, I think that, that kind of is the culture that we're creating and how it's kind of trickling down and guys feel comfortable and we're having fun and, and uh, you know, it's translating obviously to W's on the field. Obviously when you have young guys playing with such energy and excitement, it probably makes your legs feel a little younger. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel that that old, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but no, it is fun. We've got a lot of youth on the team and uh, it, it, like I said, it's just, it's a really good vibe and, Every weekend we go there and it brings back like the love of the game and why we do it. And, uh, you know, surrounding yourself with a locker room of, of peers that you like being around and, uh, you know, it makes it that much better. Having gone through it myself uh, many years ago, what was the process like for you um, having to sit out a season and watch the Mammoth play while you rehab that knee just to get yourself ready for the new season? Yeah, it, it was definitely difficult, but uh you know, whether you have an injury or you're cut from a team, you use that as motivation. And, you know, that's what, you know, top-level athletes do. And I know Dan Coates did the same thing. Um, you know, we used that year off as motivation, and, and we got bigger and faster and stronger as a result. So um, I know, 
obviously it's tough to sit back and watch, but at the end of the day, you're focused on getting better and making an impact when uh, you're able to come back on the field. What was the biggest thing you learned about yourself? Are, are you uh, are you a gym guy now? Have you figured that out? I would say I've always been, so I haven't really been a gym guy, but effective training and, and stretching. So yeah. that's the one thing I tell, like, you know, I look at young guys and they show up, you know, you can run around and, uh, you know, do it again the next day. And now, you know, I've really learned how to take care of the body that much, you know, that much more and how that can, you know, help you play longer and um, ultimately try and protect yourself from some of those injuries that could occur if you don't look after your body. It's a pretty interesting scenario with your club. Obviously, uh, a group of guys that have never been together, but you're starting to build some rivalries across the National Cross League. And that game against Vancouver a few weeks ago just kind of spurred that. How excited are you guys to play Vancouver again? Yeah, we're really excited to get back. I mean, at the end of the day, for us right now, it doesn't matter who, who we're playing. We're going in with the same mentality. But uh, that was a rough game last time we played Vancouver. Um you know, we're just expecting to, to continue learning from that game and, you know, watching film, and hopefully we can come out a little bit better and, and stronger than the last time we played them. I remember the game against Colorado, that first one of the season, and you scored that goal in Colorado. That must have felt pretty good. Well, I couldn't beat Wardle on the breakaway, so I, would, uh, <laughs> I have the empty net. Why not? <laughs> um, you were with um... – what was your college before you or what college were you coaching? I was coaching at Michigan State University. Yeah. And now you've moved on from them and you're working on some youth lacrosse in Michigan. How's that going for you? Uh, it's going really well. I mean, I love coaching at Michigan State. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win the, the club national championship last year, which was a lot mm -hmm. of fun. But, uh, you know, that's an hour away from my house. And I really wanted to focus on rehabbing my knee and uh, kind of give myself a hundred percent to the SEALs organization. So how to drop that, but now I'm working uh, about 20 minutes from my house. We have a little facility and I'm really working on building the box game here in Michigan. So do you guys have like an actual indoor box? Um, it's not an indoor box. So we have uh, pretty much, it's just the, it's in a warehouse. We've got a bunch of turf and it's, there's netting on the side. So I do all of like the small sided, the, the skill stuff there. And then I host training camps because we have kids from Detroit and Grand Rapids. So we have um, individual training on both sides of the state. And then once a month we meet in the middle at a facility with boards. Uh, and then we kind of go over all those team concepts and get live reps that way. That's unreal. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and, you know, the kids have really bought in. They love it, and uh, I think the box game is only going to continue to grow here in the U.S., so it's really cool to see. Are there any Detroit Turbo jerseys kicking around? I don't know if many of the kids <laughs> know about the Turbos, but hopefully, hopefully one day, you know, they'll be, uh, you know, pro across either Grand Rapids or Detroit or somewhere in the Michigan area. I know people would absolutely love it, so it'll be fun to follow the growth of this sport, that's for sure. How have you, um, since you've been in this league, enjoyed the growth of the sport in the last few years? Uh, it's been it's been really cool to see, you know, and, and it starts from the ground up. And obviously, we've got a couple new franchises, and um, you know, you look at what Philly's been able to do. They've got, I think, eleven thousand fans consistently, and mm -hmm. you know that's incredible, and that's great for our game, and it's great for continued growth. So hopefully, the other franchises, uh, we got what New York and. Um, 
I don't know if you call it Halifax. Pseudo, pseudo Halifax, Halifax so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One, you know, Halifax, hopefully, you know, they bring out some fans and uh, our commissioner and obviously the ownership that we have are really putting a lot of resources into making teams successful and investing into this league. So it's great to see, and I hope that it just continues to, to build because it's a fantastic league. When you're with Colorado, obviously Stan Kroenke wasn't really around, but you've mentioned Joe Sy already a few times. How different is it to see an owner that's not exactly hands-on, but is making himself sort of um, available for you guys? It's it's actually it's pretty cool. Um, you know, we were at our game in uh, San Diego, and he was just sitting behind our bench, you know, with Steve, and that's really cool to see. And his whole family was there, you know, came in the locker room after, and makes it very clear he likes uh, the physical play that uh, Boston Cross <laughs> brings. So. You know, we make sure that's a staple in our game. It's got to be kind of interesting and, and unique to be able to play with three guys that were playing in the league while you were still in the league. How have you adjusted and how have they adjusted to coaching in the NLL? You know, I think that all three of them, they're just they're straight-up competitors, and, you know, they demand excellence from us. They hold us accountable, and, you know, ultimately they've been on – championship teams they know what it takes and they're hungry I mean when our coaches speak our players are perked up and they're listening and um, you know we've got a great level of trust between our leadership and our in our players and you know guys want to work hard for them I know uh, you know I wasn't initially going to play this year and I talked to Pat Merrill on the phone and you know you could just you talk to him and you just sense that you know the level of compete and um, you know that's obviously trickled down again to our whole team and yeah, uh, it's fun. That's Cam Holding, defender, transition player for the San Diego Seals. Had to give him a little bit of ribbing that he missed the breakaway on Dylan Ward, so he needed to get that empty netter in that first game against Colorado. But I'm a big Cam Holding fan. Uh, love his work ethic, love his dedication to get back into the game, to be back at a top level. Uh, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask him but kind of, um, didn't as a guy that's gone through knee surgery and to watching the paths that he and Dan Coates both took to get back to being healthy. Um, Dan Coates doesn't wear a brace. Um, he feels more comfortable without it. Cam Holding wears a brace. Feels more comfortable with it. And that's always a personal preference for people coming off uh, knee surgeries, how long you wear it, do you ever wear it. I remember when I went through the process, um, I had surgery in May, and by the time I got my knees fixed and healed and I was rehabbing and got my brace it was late September and by the time I got back to Mercyhurst and we were doing fall ball camp in October I was like nope I don't need this brace and I never put it on again so it's interesting to watch guys who go through knee issues whether ones that wear braces and ones that wear don't it's all a comfort thing and all a personal preference but uh, it's awesome to see Cam holding back to 100% uh, contributing at a high level uh, and you heard him say right at the end there uh, he wasn't thinking, he was thinking about not playing this year. But once he talked with Pat Merrill, uh, it became an instant no-brainer that he wanted to go to war with that guy. And I think that's how a lot of people feel inside that SEALs locker room is that when your coaches are as fired up, as passionate as those three guys are, uh, it's not a hard thing to get right back into game mode and go to battle. Before we move on to Pat Gregoire, a couple other notes from this past weekend Everybody who watched the game in Rochester uh, against Georgia, uh, they were witness to the John Grant ceremony. I thought it was um, a wonderful ceremony for Junior. He had his family up there. 
Uh, great to see Reggie there. Uh, obviously, Reggie Thorpe's going to be the head coach GM of the new New York team, but a longtime teammate of Junior, so it was great to see him up there. Uh, and just to listen to Junior talk and be uncomfortable and be unselfish and be humble, uh, it was great to see. And I'm happy that he got his jersey retired finally. I'm happy that he was able to get there for it. And as great of a night that it was for Junior, it was incredible to see him share the spotlight, as it were, to his good friend, former teammate Sean Williams, and, of course, everything that was going down in Buffalo for Tucker out lymphoma night as the Mammoth and Bandits were wearing specially designed jerseys uh, that were going to be auctioned off. Not sure a lot of people know that the jerseys were designed by Tucker's brother Dyson, uh, Sean's oldest and it just, it was an incredible night. Shout out to Scott Loeffler, who does an incredible job uh, with all the Tucker out lymphoma nights and the crossout cancer nights that Buffalo does. Uh, he did an incredible job. Kudos to both teams for coming to center for a ceremonial face-off. That is a picture that I'm sure the Williams family will keep in their household for many years to come. What a great moment that was. Uh, but just the two moments together happening at the same time, an hour and a half away from each other down the throughway. Um, two legends of the game in their own right, uh, Sean Williams and John Grant. You know, obviously the ceremony in Buffalo wasn't exactly recognizing Sean Williams, but it was a lacrosse family coming together for Sean, and it was a lacrosse family coming together to celebrate Junior. So uh, what a night it was Saturday in upstate New York, uh, and kudos to everybody who was a part of both those ceremonies that did an incredible job. Tucker, we miss you, Junior. Congratulations. Now let's get to Pat Gregoire because Pat Gregoire likes to talk. He's got a lot to say, and he's going to join us after the jingle. Every week, we take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke Game Pat. You know the jingle sing along. It's another chat with Pat Gregoire. How are you, my friend? Doing good, doing good. Uh, we were texting and talking about how Ontario weather was starting to finally warm up. We had uh, rain yesterday, so I think, you know, I was like, oh, maybe you jinx the weather. We're going to get some BC weather. But nope, we're back to minus five and supposed to be freezing rain tonight so thanks a lot for that teddy well i did technically jinx the west because we're having freezing temperatures at the pond across the street from my house is almost frozen over so we are having ontario weather so you could don't feel any sympathy for us no no sympathy and i mean hey if you can skate on the on the ice there then i'll be i'll, I'll be happy but if it's just kind of not frozen fully then what the heck's the point of cold weather anyways I can throw a pine cone across it, but I don't think myself nor Bear could walk on it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't test that theory out anyways. No, I don't think it's a good theory. Uh, we have a couple theories that you have in mind. One is that peep, not enough people are talking about Zach Courier. No, no no one is. And considering you know how good he was last year in his rookie season, you know, setting records, um, you know, for a, a defender, for, you know, for an overall player, for loose balls. And, uh, you know, he was near the top of the league and caused turnovers. 
Um, what we saw from him was, was historic. It was a historic season. And his numbers this year are, are pretty darn close and on pace to, to be doing pretty much the same thing. Uh, you know, about 80 loose balls. I think it's 82 loose balls. He finished off with 200 last year, becoming just the third player to do that in NLL history. But, you know, he could potentially do that again, get close to it at least. Uh, you know, 19 caused turnovers. So it looks like he could maybe match his 33 from last year or at least get close to that as well. I don't know if it's because Calgary's kind of been an up-and-down team, kind of don't really know what to get, or maybe it's because of the fact he's not scoring goals, but he's still doing the other things. He's just not getting that respect. I think there's no reason why he shouldn't be the front-runner right now for transition player of the year. And I think last year he should have been that as well and should have possibly, I mean, for sure should have been the rookie of the year in my opinion. You could even argue that for, for transition player of the year. He is second in the league in loose balls, first in the league in cause turnovers. And you're right, I don't think anybody is really talking about him. And maybe it's just because so many people are focused on the Eastern Division. I think that is often what happens in this league, is that everybody focuses on the Eastern guys. That's where more guys are located. More people are familiar with the Eastern teams. And you get a lot more influence of Eastern folks talking about Eastern guys. And not a lot of Western guys get credit. And especially when, you know, you look at teams like Calgary and Vancouver, the years that Justin Salt was so amazing in transition, and he would just get completely left out of the conversation. Matt Beers was left out of the Defender of the Year conversation yep. a couple of years ago. Um, and so it's it's not odd to see this happening, but it's always a really strange talking point when you have a guy who is, you know, second, the top leading loose ball guy for non-face-off guys, leading the league caused turnovers, and no one's talking about him. Yeah, I think, I mean, I didn't even bring that up, but I think you did nail it on the head. The Eastern bias is real, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm at fault for it sometimes because, like you said, yeah, you know what, the, the games are on later out west, but, uh, I mean, any time that someone can watch uh, Zachary or play, they need to, uh, whether it's in the field lacrosse game or in the indoor game in the NLL or even in major series lacrosse, what he's able to do on the floor, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, but you are right. The, the, the East Coast bias is real. Um, you know, Matt Beers, you could even talk to him about him. He's a guy that's having, you know, a comeback season. You could put him in the, the conversation uh, for Defender of the Year as well with how well he's playing, you know, leading the league in cause turn or close to uh, near the top at least, I think. Uh, but what Courier's done this year, I don't know, maybe even if it's two because – he set the standards so high last year, but yeah. that's not even really the case because he's having just as good as the year as he did last year. Well, you know what they say, chicks dig the long ball, right? So obviously, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned he's not scoring at the pace that he was last year. He's not yeah. scoring highlight real goals going coast to coast. So maybe that's why he's not getting as much attention because he doesn't stand out as a defender as much as, say, a guy like Matt Beers or Kyle Rubish, but in the transition game, which is his specialty, there aren't too many that are as good as that Courier is. Um, staying out west, uh, you mentioned this as our pre-talk, and I thought, no, that can't be right. And then I looked, and you were right. There's only one team in the west right now that is above 500, and it's the San Diego Seals. How crazy is the west right now? It's, it's insane. It's, it's totally nuts. To even, you know, if at the start of the year, if you said, you know, there will only be one team, 
you know, above 500 or around the 500 range, um, you know, at this point in the season, I'd say you're crazy. And for you to double up and say that'd be the San Diego Seals, the expansion team, I, there's no chance I would believe, but that, that's where we are. Uh, and I don't know if it's necessarily a down year right now for the West, uh, but it's certainly out of the norm. You have a Saskatchewan team that's you're three and three. They're, they're I believe, I think it was yeah. the first time, first time in a while that they've been at this point. I can't remember uh, Adam uh, Levi. He mentioned that uh, I'd have to look it up, but it, it's been a long time since six games into the season they're only at a, a five and five or sorry a three and three record. Uh, normally we know that they do normally start off a little slow, uh, but at this point they start to heat up. But you know, two losses to two East teams, two strong East teams. You look at Calgary. Calgary's kind of been up and down. Uh, Vancouver has been in, in a lot of games, but they haven't been able to close out. And then you look at Colorado, a team that's completely underachieving. This is a team that a lot of people thought maybe this is the year they can get over the hump. Uh, now this is a team where you're thinking, what what is going on? Is this a team that's not even going to make the playoffs? Are they thinking about maybe even starting, you know, a rebuild? Like it, it's so insane to think that a potential West contender now all of a sudden is you know, at the bottom behind an expansion team and a team like Vancouver is basically at the start of the year, people were calling them an expansion team. Yeah, it is an unreal start to the season. Uh, going back to Adam's tweet, the first time since 2013 that the Rush are 3-3 three and three or worse after six games. It's not a very Rush-like year. Um, they like Colorado, even Vancouver, bringing in new coaches to their systems. Teams are struggling with some of the new coaches. Jeremy Tlevey's there. Their defense just doesn't look the same. Obviously, they are not. They don't have Dilks. They don't have Jeffrey Cornwall, so they're missing some bodies. But this is a team that should be doing a lot better than they are, just like Colorado, I think, should be doing a lot better than they are. And do we start to now see some trades come down the wire as we get further and further into the season? We've already seen the first domino to fall, and that was Stephen Keogh going back to Rochester. Yeah, I, I mean, do you want to dive into this Keo trade or, or keep going with? Well, what do you, do you want to would you want to talk about the West a little bit more? This is your second. Yeah, let's go. Let's, let's go. In, let's go in that. Let's go. Well, I think exactly. I think, I mean, that, that's the perfect example. And I think the the domino to fall maybe uh, it wasn't the Keo trade that kind of came out out of left field. But for me, I think if someone was able to get a deal done to pick up a guy like Westberg, just kind of sitting out in the weeds, not really doing anything. A Colorado was a team that I thought maybe would take a stab at him. He's got some ties to, to Denver. Uh, he seemed like he would be a perfect fit there, but uh, is there maybe a team that wants to take a stab at him? Because it looks like right now in the West, everyone is just so close. And yeah, you know, you have San Diego near the top. Uh, Things couldn't be better for that team. And you know in an expansion team, a young team, there are going to be some growing pains. So you know they're going to go for, they're going to go on a losing skid. Something has got to give at some point. I know we said that that was going to happen with the, the Vegas Golden Knights, and it really didn't happen. But uh, for this San Diego team, it's not going to be this pretty the entire year. I'm not saying they're going to fall off the face of the earth. Uh, but it's not going to be sunshine and roses the entire year. So that allows other teams to, you know, start to close the gap on them as well. And I think if another team can go out and, and grab a veteran defender or, you know, grab another score, add some, some depth, uh, you look at the National Lacrosse League now, 
You can't just have one superstar. You have to have Ooh. multiple superstars. And you look over in the East, every single team that's near the top, and even the, the teams at the bottom, they have at least three or four studs on each side of the ball on offense. It's crazy to think that the East is, is become sort of the powerhouses here where yeah. maybe in the last couple of years it was everyone focused their attention to the West. And it's interesting to see. You know, you add one team to that West and it throws everything off kilter. But still, with Colorado Mammoth and the Vancouver Warriors right there vying for that final playoff spot, as we know, four teams make the playoffs this year. So, you know, that last spot becomes that much more important now. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it really does. And I know there was a lot of talk of, you know, how it's kind of bush that so many teams get, you know, are, are able to make the playoffs at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you could look at both sides of the coin. And I, I mean, I do think it, it, going forward, having that structure is great. Having four from each uh, division making it, it just makes things so much easier. Uh, but with that being said, the difference between, especially in the East, uh, between, you know, a five and a four, it's, it, you know, it's it's so minor and, and minute. So it really doesn't matter that four teams are making it because, and even if you look in the West, I mean, those teams that are struggling, I mean, Vancouver is still a very, very strong club. They've battled pretty much in almost every single game. Colorado, even though they've, this has not been the start that they've wanted or expected, uh, they've had some tough losses. Their season could be completely different. Um, and, and, yeah, like you said, to think that you can go from potentially picking first overall in the draft or to having a, a playoff game, there's just such a small, small, small gap. And I think, obviously, you want a good draft pick. You, you want to build for the future. But any time that you can get to the postseason, with knowing how close the league is, you want to get in because once you're in, it's one game and who knows what can happen. Yeah, especially with the new playoff format, one game, one game, then a best of three. So, you know, you're really only, only having to win four games in the playoffs to become a championship team. So getting into the postseason at the right time on a heater can really help teams. Uh, we talked about it. The Stephen Keogh trade came out midday Monday. Uh, I think this is a good deal for both teams. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, you nailed it on the head. I think it's a good trade for both. Off the hop, I kind of was a little bit puzzled, maybe just on the return for for, for Stephen Keogh. But looking at it now, I think it's pretty obvious where both teams are going. Uh, you look at how well Kyle Killen has played since being injected into the lineup. He's an electric player, scores his first hat-trick last game. He, he looks like he's going to be a big part of this offense. And that right-hand side, even with a guy like Ryan Lee, uh, and then, you you know, you have Noble there as well. You want those guys with the ball and their stick as much as possible. You can't really clog it up. Those guys need touches, especially Killen and Lee uh, being youngsters in this league. You want them to be uh, getting the ball on their sticks, getting as many reps in practice and in games as possible. And you have a guy like Stephen Keogh who, I mean, you ask pretty much any team in this league and they're going to take him. And that's yeah. why Rochester, he has familiarity. Uh, with the Nighthawks, uh, not only is it a good trade for a team that's, you know, kind of looking out, well, definitely looking on the outside, uh, looking in, but they can't lose too many more games or, or, or they're going to find themselves clawing back way too late in the season. Well, you go out, you get a guy like Stephen Keel, not only is it good for the locker room and on to the floor, it's a nice move in, you know, it's a good PR move as well. 
It's the last year in Rochester. You go out, grab one of the fan favorites. Uh, now there is more energy, uh, you know, injected into that fan base. Uh, Keo's a guy that not only is he going to score you big goals, uh, he's going to crash, he's going to bang, uh, he's going to pick up loose balls, he's going to go to the net. I know we make jokes all the time, but he truly is a big team guy. Uh, I think he's going to fit in perfectly, and he has chemistry as already with some of those guys on offense, Cody Jamison, uh, Corey Vitarelli, and then, of course, uh, Joe Rez have all played with him before. So this seems like a, a no-brainer for the Rochester Nighthawks. But with that being said, obviously Colorado probably wasn't pleased that they had to part ways. Uh, they just had to make a business decision. And from what they've seen from Lee and, and Killen, they had to pull trigger. Yeah, I think that that's the biggest issue that that, that sparked this deal, I think, uh, was the fact that Ryan Lee has taken such a big beat from last year, and Kyle Killen, in the three games that he's played, is averaging just over three points a game. So you can't take yeah. him out, and it's not a knock on Stephen Keogh. Uh They just needed to make a decision. They weren't going to move Jeremy Noble. Uh, they weren't going to move Jake no. Louay. And so the guy that no. became expendable, unfortunately, was Stephen Keogh. And like you said, it's it's a, a good move for Rochester, a guy they're familiar with, a guy who's won championships there. Uh, and for Colorado, they free up some space. Now they got seven old guys straight running. They can let that group grow together. They pick up a couple draft picks. Uh, so I think it's a it's a good deal for everybody. I know some people in Colorado are saying, well, is this a fire sale? Uh, no, it's not a fire sale. It's the no. right decision because Keo unfortunately, wasn't contributing. Killen and Lee were. Now you get Noble in there. You can let him be a regular, everyday guy, which he always is going to be. They just needed to sit him for a game and let him rest. Um but then the other comment was, and you mentioned at the start, was when Colorado got Stephen Keogh, they gave up first for him, and this time coming back, they're only getting second and third. I think it's different just now that you're coming into expansion years. Those picks were going to be later picks anyway. So I think yeah. in the end, it's going to work out for both teams. Uh, and I think I, I don't know if, if this is going to be the end of it for either team. Uh, I think down the road, as this year goes along, we'll start to see the trade wire pick up. And you mentioned Westburg everybody's anxiously waiting to see what happens with him because all signs point to him not re-signing a Cal. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like I said, he's the big domino to fall. Uh, you add a guy like him into, into pretty much any of those rosters throughout the entire NL, uh, they immediately get better. But, I mean, a, a team like, uh, you know, Rochester, they – I, I don't know. I don't know if they 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 can go out and get a guy like Westbrook, but you know they're going to go out and try to get another impact player. Um, you know, the way that they played last year, how they got to a championship. Uh, you know, just one win away from uh, you know winning another NLL Cup. They want to end on a good note in Rochester before they move to Halifax. Uh, championship or bust is their standard, so they're not going to be happy with you know the way that their team's playing right now, even though it's been just a couple of goals here and there in a few games, they could easily be in a completely different spot in the standings. But Kurt Steyer, he's been known to, you know, find tool his teams during the season, uh, grab free agents, whatever it may be, turn, you know, turn his team around mid season. And I imagine he's going to try to do the same, but, Boy, there's a lot of other teams in the league that are looking to do the same because, like you mentioned, there is not much of a difference between you know a last place and a last place in the playoffs. Uh, and if you can grab a big impact player, that's going to make a world of a difference. At P 
Greggy on Twitter. You can get at him and let him know how you feel about his thoughts about Zach Courier, the standings in the West, and will somebody make a splash and go after West Berg of the Calgary Roughnecks? Berg's still unsigned, and as mentioned, it just doesn't seem, in my opinion, like there's a deal to be had there. Now, I'm not saying one won't happen, but if it hasn't happened by now, I just don't see it happening anytime in the future. And it just, I think the writing is on the wall that Westberg and the Calgary Roughnecks will part ways at some point in the near future. Now let's get to the good stuff. Not that Cam Holding and Pat Gregor aren't good stuff. But if you've read the Lax All-Star article on Ray Hodgkinson, you know his story. It is one of depression. It is one of darkness. It is one of demons, but also uh, one of victory and one of sacrifice and one of survival and just an absolute great human being. And like many of us, Ray has gone through some dark times. But unlike many of us, Ray has found the ability and found an avenue to not only release those demons, but continue to tell his story in a healthy, happy way that hopefully will continue to inspire others not only to get mentally healthy, but physically healthy as well. And so lucky enough for me, when I reached out to Ray, he was actually in Victoria. He's going to be here throughout pretty much the summer. And when I asked if he wanted to join us on the podcast, he jumped up the opportunity. He even threw the option of doing it live in studio. And hey, when you got a radio studio, might as well use it. So Ray joined me here in the studio. And he's joining me here in studio. And it's been a long time since we've caught up. It's been a long time since we've even hung out. How yeah. things? Good, man. Yeah. When was the last time I saw you? When was the last time I saw you? <sighs> Maybe like when you were, um, you were doing the play-by-play for um, Coquitlam back when I was oh, playing yeah, junior. junior. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you're always very nice on that. <laughs> about <laughs> That's me. a good start. That's yeah, you're always start. very nice to me like uh, in those play-by-plays. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, hey, there we go. Jab update. Um, I was trying to think that it might have been like back in the day when we used to rent Oak Bay Rec. And you'd put gear on, and we'd go shoot on you. Yeah, that could have been. That could have been that too. Just before you got to Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. But your journey has been a a crazy one. You're you're not really into lacrosse anymore. You're hoping to get back into it. Yeah, Um, that's the plan. That's the plan. I'm on the list. I'm on the roster list. (laughs) I just looked at it last night. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm on the roster. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna get into that because that is uh, the big full circle part of your journey. Um, You posted today that uh, skill. And I can't remember what your exact words were. Skills come from possible beard growth. Um, what is your what is your specialty of the beard? Because that's come a long way. Um, really, uh, uh, just like neglecting shaving, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, I don't really like do any of like, the fancy stuff, you know, that guys tend to do. You with, know, like, the dollar beard club kind of guy? No, nothing like that. Um, I used to like trim it myself and everything, but now I just let professionals handle that because I've butchered it a few times. But yeah, nothing special. No beard oils, no magic growth. Yeah. Is it become part of your mystique though? I have a weak chin, so 
<laughs> so it's, it's hiding. Yeah, it's, it's not hiding. a Chuck Norris fist underneath. No, nothing like that. No, it's just to hide that weak chin. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, tattoos are a big part of uh, of your personality. Mm. Um, most people, when they get tattoos, they usually mean something. They, all yours have a story. Um, you don't need to go into the details of everyone, but generally, they yeah. have a meaning. I think like this this left arm, like I tried to make meaning out of it, but like everything on my right arm is just like stuff that I like, really like. Um, I guess maybe like this wolf, yeah, like the wolf with the dagger through its head, is like somebody who's uh, like seen hardship and like um, put that behind them. That's what it symbolizes anyway. Mm -hmm. Put it behind them and then like um, kind of like a like an oath to not like turn back. And it's the same kind of deal with this arrow too. Like arrows always go for it. It's very like I don't know like. Um, Deep. It's deep, man. Yeah, it's a bit deep, but it's. A, I think this is a popular one, the arrows yeah, going yeah. forward. Arrows don't go back. So, What was your first tattoo? That one, the arrow. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was it. And did it kind of stem from everything that you'd been through? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the story that you wrote for Lax All-Stars, um, it, it's funny because when I read it, I was like, this is something I've been wanting to read for a while. I've wanted to hear your story. Mm. Um, and I've actually had thought about it weeks before because I always see your posts and I'm like, if he's ever in Victoria, I'd love to chat with him just to catch up. Yes, yeah, And I'm, so I'm glad that we can do this. But how did the Lax All-Stars article come about? Oh, man. So um, I, like recently, um, I'm living in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to leave uh, because of uh, some like visa issues at the moment. Um, and so I was in Indonesia, and like my plan was to just hang out in Indonesia until yeah. till my marriage visa is approved, because it's so close to mm -hmm. where I live in Perth. Like four-hour flight, right? Yeah, and like my wife could come and visit me at any time, right? So, <clears throat> um, I I was like talking to one of the coaches. And he's like, oh, uh, from the Australian national indoor team. So I had to do some fundraising. I was like, how am I going to fundraise and like in a third world country <laughs> in Indonesia, right? Full across. Yeah, exactly. And so I went to go make a GoFundMe page, and which I don't, I didn't really want to do, um, but it was kind of forced to. And I couldn't even make a GoFundMe page because it's blocked in Indonesia. Of course. Right? Yeah. So my wife put it together and, you know, I started to share it and whatnot. And uh, I put it in a, like a lax uh, goalie um, Facebook page for like okay. box goalies. Sure. And I like just kind of was like, told the story is like, hey, like, you know, um, I used to play lacrosse, blah, 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 like, was a, a functioning addict during my entire career and like, kind of like, have a dark cloud around like, um, about, like around lacrosse and like, this is kind of like my redemption almost in a way, like, yeah. because I did like love playing lacrosse, right? And then it just kind of turned into something else for me anyway. And, um, so I like poured my heart out in this like this this group, and then um, I think it, I can't remember what the gentleman's name of uh, is off the top of my head. The guy who works for Lax All Stars, he just hit me up with like a message and was like, "Dude, I want to help you out. Like, yeah. put put your story in words." And then I was like on it like right away. Nice. Like, so I just like started doing it on my phone and my in my notes. Yeah, and so that was all done in uh in bali indonesia have you had you ever written anything like outside of like school essays and stuff like that but have you ever written anything that was so introspective um i did it like i mean i did like a lot of step work like right, you know yeah. like 12 step stuff right um i've done a few things yeah like over the years just like you know written some stuff like 
whatever, like with like with the gym that I work at and stuff, doing blog posts and, right. and certain things like that. Um, but yeah, that's that a was... pretty deep to go that deep into your own person, mm. um, and to let everybody see your vulnerability and everything that you went through. That takes a lot, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did did you just because because as a writer and as someone who hosts podcasts and talks a lot, sometimes when I just open my mouth crap comes out mm-hmm. like, that's how i get through most of my podcasts i just let my brain go yeah and so sometimes when i'm writing it's the same thing did, did you feel that as soon as you started to put words down it just kind of all flowed out or were there times where you had to step back and take a break no it's just like it was just yeah it all came out but I, I i've been telling this story for right for years now right like um i've always been quite open about uh all of my struggles with addiction because obviously somebody else is going to hear that mm-hmm and then, you know, be able to relate to it and, it and it may help somebody else, right? So it's just, I think, anyway, for me, I feel like if I was to keep all this stuff inside, like what, you know, I'm not helping anyone. Mm-hmm. And if I'm helping other people, I'm helping myself as well, right? I feel that way, right? And, and do you think having become a, a CrossFit coach and sort of a, a mentor for people helped you be able to tell that story? Um, yeah, I and mean, it's just like, it's just part of like you know being in in recovery as well as just Mm -hmm. being open and honest and and like you know sharing with others like your experience because somebody else might relate to that and and find something out of it right uh in your article you wrote the the tipping point was that you proceeded to play a ball the rest of your time in minor lacrosse this started my eventual downfall yeah was that because you were so competitive Mm mm-hmm and that you wanted to be the best goal that you could be and you never want to get scored on you wanted your team to win and that drove you to the downfall um i think that that drove me into like i guess just this negative mind space of just trying to be the best and putting so much pressure on myself that like i couldn't deal with it anymore like um i guess sober right mm-hmm. and then I, you know like i found like alcohol first and then, you know, like, you know, other you know, recreational drugs, marijuana, and then kind of moved into the heavier stuff, yeah. the older that I got. And um, it just, it was like a release. Like that was, you know, yeah. for me is my, was like, I could get away from the stress of, you know, the pressure that I've been putting on myself, right? And, and the situations. As a 14, 15 year old kid, that's gotta be a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah. To, to not just, proceed to be the best goalie that you could be but then to add on the stress of of where you're going to get your next fix or where the next drug is going to come from like that's got to weigh a lot on a young kid's mind yeah yeah true um it was, it was never too hard to find them for me yeah right but uh yeah no it was, it was and it was all self-induced pressure too right mm-hmm. like no one was putting this pressure on me it just like i just always been kind of like i don't have ocd like i've never been like clinically diagnosed with ocd just right. like having you know obsessive and compulsive behavior like i mentioned in the story like from a young age like yeah. really cards. young yeah hockey cards dude yeah Big you still time. have them i think so yeah yeah i have a at my dad's house i have like a couple boxes I think I got some gems in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got Packet a, magazines and going through to find the prices. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to go to that. There was that one hockey card store on Fort Street. I remember um, that, yeah. Uh, like Fort and uh, near the corner of Fort and Blanchard. And I was in there all the time. Yeah. And those guys were probably really sick of me. 
<laughs> As you grew up, uh, I've mentioned many times, you know, lacrosse in Victoria was a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at you know, other cities around the world, and you have, you know, professional hockey teams, bigger cities, professional football, baseball, basketball, whatever it be. We had the Payless or the Shamrocks. That's what we had yeah. in Victoria. And what did it mean to you to grow up here in Victoria with some of the greats? Oh, man, it was like, that was the, like, my fondest childhood memories right. were in Memorial Arena. Like, the smell of the onions coming mm, through that door. Yeah. That was pretty wild, eh? Like, and just, yeah, we grew up in uh, a pretty special era of, of indoor lacrosse that, uh, that a lot of other people didn't really get to experience, right? Absolutely. And it was like a whole family thing, too. Like, like uh, my Uncle Paul, Paul Michaels, played yeah. uh, for Payless and the Shamrocks, and I think he won two or three man cops. So, like, all my family were, like, there all the time. Like, my great-aunt uh, Adelaide was, like, a season ticket holder till the day she died. And, like, mm-hmm. she would, like, be in, like, that, you know, the corner where they'd have, like, um, the, you could have, like, the wheelchairs, like, yeah, up yeah, in the corner yeah, there, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I'd be always parked there with her, like, sitting beside her, Very like, good. best view in the house, yeah. right? So it was, like, it was a huge family thing for me, too, right? Like, and my dad was into it. and yeah. I mean, I didn't really get into, like, I went to, like, you know, lacrosse games growing up. Like, that was always a thing. But, like, I didn't, like, really get, like, obsessed with it until I started to play. Would have been, like, nine years old. Right, yeah. Yeah. It was always just a fun place to go because all your buddies were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then once you started getting in, you're like, hold on, I, I don't want to play stick hockey in the corner yeah. down the back ramp. I want to actually sit and watch the game. Yeah. Do you, you mentioned, you know, some of the guys that you watch, but is there a game that stands out from Memorial that you're, like... That's the one? Uh, I, I think it would have been, I think it was the year that Paul and Gary were on this on the team, like, together. And yeah. It, so it would have been 99. Yeah, 99, yeah. It was 50 a 50-year anniversary. 50-year yeah. anniversary. And uh, I just remember watching, like, either Paul or Gary go to net. Like, and every time they would go to the net, they would either, like, draw a penalty or score. And I was like, what? Like, it was just, like, it was so dumbfounded. I'd never seen that before. So that really sticks out to me. And I don't know if that was, like, um, if that was a Man Cup game or a playoff game. It would have been a Man Cup year, though, in Yeah, it was. Yeah. But uh, I think it was, like, uh, it definitely was a Man Cup. Like, we played in Memorial because I have pictures of Marty and I, Marty O'Neill yeah. and I yeah. on the floor afterwards. Awesome. So, yeah, I don't know if it was in the Man Cup or if it was, like, in a playoff series, but. It was pretty often they did that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I'd never, like, really kind of, like, got hip to it until, like, I was, like, sitting there watching. I was, like, like these guys are, like, something special. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd never seen that before. Like, super dangerous. <laughs> right? Yeah. You've talked about Marty um, in the article. You talked about him here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Marty since he lived across the street from Tyler Hebner's house over by Tillica Mall there. And we yeah. used to go shoot on in the backyard. You know, he's brought a lot of Islanders into the National Lacrosse League. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's been a big influence on your life. Um, did he know how deep it was and how dark it was for no, you? No, no, no. I think he kind of got hip to it. Like, because I was, when I was in Minnesota, I got busted for trying to shop like pills from like another team's doctor. Oh, crazy. Yeah. And uh, he kind of like, and they didn't invite me back the next year. Yeah. And it, it had to do with that and like me buying pills off of teammates and stuff yeah and uh so i was like yeah no it's just not gonna hurt back like so i just like you know played it off like that yeah mm-hmm. it's, it was because i you know 
at a hurt back. So I think he kind of had uh, an inclination that uh, there was something going on there, but no, I don't think he had any clue how deep it went. And now through your recovery and being clean, how much of a role does he play in your life? Uh, we still like we still talk, and yeah. and I'm definitely like we've never ceased to have communication, and he'll always make um, you know uh, like cheeky comments on uh, yeah. on my stuff on like you know social media and what have you. But um, I'd like co- like coming into the the world indoor championships here, like I, I really want to like you know get back in with him and like break stuff down like like video wise like really want to like try and you know because i have a lot of catching up to do like i haven't even really been i mean in like paying attention to you know who's out there right and so he'd probably have a much better idea of that than uh than i would so yeah but we've been chatting a bit lately when was the last time you put goalie pads on uh in australia actually okay yeah and uh, that was, shots? yeah, man, yeah, <laughs> in a, in, in a, like a gymnasium, like wood floor um, court. So we had like this, we had like, um, it would have been like, not a like tryout, kind of like semi tryout, like scouting, like the Western Australian talent. Cause we're pretty like um, separated from the rest of the country in, okay. in Western Australia. Um, so it was the, um, some of the coaches from the, indoor team came to scout out the talent and uh they brought gear for me oh, and sweet. then yeah so i put the gear on there and it just kind of came back to me like i think i mentioned that in that in the story and i was like i don't know I, like i wouldn't shut up for about it for like three weeks <laughs> yeah. and my wife was like you look like you're enjoying yourself and like i could see she said she could see the spark in my eye and like awesome. in, in you know on the car ride home so yeah that was the last time and then prior to that i mean i hadn't put gear on since um, I think I went to the first Senior B Timberman tryout in yep. 2013. Right. I also mentioned that in the, in the, the story. In the bag broke. Yeah. That was my out, man. That was, that my, was my out. Yeah. I was like, I don't really know if I want to do this anymore. And then that my, my gear bag broke on uh, the driveway and it was like 1130 at night or like 12 or something like that. And I was like, ah, this is a sign from God. I'm out of yeah, here. I'm out. Yeah. Was the... As there's always the story of athletes once they leave their sport and they miss it. You were obviously going through a whole heck of a lot during that time. Mm. How did CrossFit help fill the void? Yeah, so like I got clean. It would have been um, in in 2013, like late 2012. <clears throat> I I like know my actual clean. I I count my clean day as the first time I ever went to a uh, NA meeting, a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Right. Um, but um, I had been uh, what I deemed clean prior to that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it just, like, completely filled that void. Like I mentioned in the story, too, like, I started to enjoy, like, the training aspect for lacrosse more than I actually enjoyed playing, right? right? Um, and so... I like I hurt like legitimately did hurt my my back um would have been like the the 2000 I think it was 2012 season and I ended up playing senior B but you know like I was meant to go um try out for the the senior A team in Nanaimo um and like um I ended up playing senior B um and then um 
after that, like, like I said, it was kind of all over for me, and I I kind of started competing in CrossFit mm-hmm. um, in around like 2012, uh, and so. I have, like, this competitive fire, like, inside me, like, I'm sure anybody who's played sports at a high level would have, right? And so after, like, lacrosse was kind of over for me, like, I needed a, an outlet, and mm-hmm. that was, like, a huge release for me was the the competitive outlet of, like, competing in CrossFit, right? So um, it was an easy transition to get into the, the competitive side of, of fitness, yeah. like, because I enjoyed training, and then, like, what's better than, like, okay, if you enjoy training, now you're going to do, like, you're basically going to do training, but as a competition. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an easy transition to that. I was talking with Mike Pyers last week. It was right after your story had come out, and, mm-hmm. he, and he recalled being at Eagle Ridge, uh, playing lacrosse, taking shots, whatever, and he would just see your head bobbing up and down on a treadmill, just running and running and running. And he said oh, yeah. that that's what he was. He's like... He was just a dedicated guy, and he loved the training aspect of it. Mm-hmm. How does the mind switch from training for competition to training as a competition? Um, it's pretty easy, really. Yeah. Like, I mean, I actually started, like, I got into fitness. It would have been in high school, and I was just kind of, you know, doing like the reading like muscle and fitness magazine and like yeah. doing some bodybuilding style stuff. And then uh, I think it was Trevor Gaines um, said like, oh, and like another guy named Mark Spencer who um, I played um, in like midget ball and stuff with yeah. in Saanich. And they're like, oh, you should come train in the basement of Popeyes um, with Lewis. And right. so like I thought I was pretty badass. <laughs> And um, Lou had us do um, treadmill sprints, and I barfed, like, all over the toilet bowl <laughs> in, that, in that basement bathroom. Yeah. And then so um, I was hooked there and, like, was like, okay, like, this is a lot. You puked all over the bathroom. I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah. I knew, well, I thought I was in good shape, and, right, I, and yeah. I was not. So that was a wake-up call. So we started doing, like, all our off-season training with Lewis, and we were always competing with each other, mm-hmm. like um, – Lewis trained a bunch of us, so it was like, yeah, you know, we were constantly like, who could push the most weight, who could run harder yeah. for longer, type deal. So and Lewis was, it, was as competitive as ever. Back oh yeah, then too. Yeah, yeah, and like trying to chase him down too was uh, yeah. was a feat in itself. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, um, you mentioned some guys you played with. Uh, we were talking before, just some of the names of guys that you played with in your minor days and guys that are that are still out there now, do you keep in touch with any of those guys or um, have you seen any of those guys recently? Um, yeah, I keep in touch with, you know, like a few people here and there, but, uh, yeah, not... not did, you like, did you really c- separate your life from lacrosse? In a lot of ways, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. because there was always that fear of getting back into the demons? No, not really. Like, it just, like, when you just kind of, like, you sep- you. you you go from like one community to another. Okay. Yeah. It's just, you you know, you know, we communicate like, you know, like I say, what's up? Like if I saw any of the guys that uh, I grew up playing with, uh, you know, like I, there's no, you know, bad feelings towards right. any of those guys. They're all positive, yeah. right? Um, so it just yeah, just finding a different community, and then you know that's your, you, you know, kind of your social group. But yeah. you know, like with social media and stuff, it's it's pretty easy to stay in touch with a lot of those guys. Your social media game is pretty strong on Instagram. 
Yeah. Yeah, thanks. You've uh you've created a bit of a niche for yourself with with your CrossFit and just that community is, mm-hmm. is a very social forward community. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to see just watching some of the videos that you do. Um, how hard was that assault bike in Bali at Wonderlust? Oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. You, could you see, almost like passed, like, you're, you had to, like, I don't, how long did you have to bike for? Um, I, Probably like almost a minute. Yeah, a little and then bit. You had to like go tag your partner, and you almost like fell right in your face going to tag your partner. Yeah, we. It was the end of a workout that had, I think, like burpee box jump overs and like shuttle sprints with a ball. So like a, a, a like a dead ball, which yep. is just like a big heavy uh, ball that doesn't bounce, right? So we were doing sprints, and then like it was fifty calories on the assault bike um, as the last piece, and I was like, all right, you. Just go on that assault bike and do as many calories as you can, and then I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it uh, it was uh, it took the life right out of my legs. That's why I fell down. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, um, you talk like burpees, like those are the exercises that I hated. Are there is there an exercise in CrossFit that you do now that every time you see it written on the board or you see it as your workout of the day, you're like, why? Why do I have to do that one today? No, not really. No? You love no. them all? Yeah, yeah. Like, I know people are, like, always saying that. And they don't like the assault bike, and, you know, they like lifting weights. Like, I started that way. Like, I started just liking the weights, but now I like the really, like, gross stuff. Like, yeah, I love the assault bike. I just did some assault bike uh, intervals uh, a couple hours ago. <laughs> it's, it never ends, does it? No. 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 Is, now, how many, like, what's a day for Ray like these days? Um, it's a little bit slower now that I'm, I'm here in Victoria, but, um, it usually like consists of like me waking up, having breakfast, going to the gym, coaching clients, um, coaching classes, um, training, um, eating more, you know, um, having like more clients throughout the day. Um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. And then like when I'm at home, like back in Australia with my wife, like, um, like get home and then just have time with her, right? Yeah. yeah. How much is she meant to you in all this? Man, a lot. Yeah. 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 It's having a dog, mm-hmm. having someone to come home to. Yeah. Having that love, like that has to make all those dark days not seem worth it. But now that you're here and you're happy and, and you've moved on from that, it mm-hmm. makes it the, the reward of all your attrition, all your battles. Yeah, like, I would never change any of my past. Yeah. And it's, beeps, like you mentioned, just because, like, if I didn't have that stuff, like, I wouldn't be where I am Absolutely. now, right? So it was a, it was a good learning process in, in trying to find out what I didn't want, you know? And, and now having what I've always kind of dreamed of in a lot of ways. Do you, uh, do you keep up with lacrosse at all? Do you, do you watch it? Have you seen any? Or now that you're kind of... In the Australia mindset, or, or do you mm. have to kind of switch the the flicker back on? Yeah, like I've always just kind of you know um, kept up like somewhat, like yeah. uh, a little like um, like a brush up on it. Like I'm mostly just you know following guys that like I played pro with or guys that I played junior with who yeah. are still playing, right? Um, like once in a while, like I think I watched like some playoff games with like Peterborough and Six Nations yeah. on. Like when I was bored on the computer, I worked at a supplement store in Australia, yeah. like stuff like that. But yeah, just kind of like keeping up like that way, like, but not really, yeah, like really into it like I used to be. 
you uh, you coined yourself the suitcase life. Yeah, man. How many teams did you play for in junior and intermediate? All right, so let's do a rundown. <laughs> um, so intermediate A, I got cut by the intermediate uh, Shamrocks. Yeah. And then I actually got picked up by the junior A Shamrocks to play, but I had signed like an intermediate B card, so I didn't burn like, my, I guess my intermediate A status, right. right? And so they were calling me up, and then um, Alex PD came back, and like that year it was Boldy and PD, yeah. or it was Boldy and me, and then PD came back from Loyola that year, and then I was like third man out, so I was like, I don't want to watch lacrosse, and yeah. so. I went and I signed an intermediate A contract with uh, the Coquitlam Intermediate A team. Yeah. And then I was playing up junior um, for Coquitlam as well, like pretty much equal, like intermediate A and junior A in Coquitlam. And then um, then I played the next year. I played pretty much the entire season uh, backing up Tyler Richards in uh, Coquitlam and junior A. And then um, I ended up getting traded by my request yeah. to Delta. And then I actually did, like, that was probably the, um, in junior A, the best lacrosse that I had ever played was nice. when I played for Delta um, as a, I think I was still, yeah, intermediate age player. Crazy. Um, and then, so because I had, I was an intermediate age player and I had intermediate, um, I, I think, st like, status those two, yeah, yeah, those two years, I, then I became a free agent right. after that. Um, so like, because I had some success there and this probably wasn't a good, uh, good thing for my ego as well. <laughs> Looking, <laughs> thinking back on it now. Um, I, I think I was like getting offers from everyone the next year. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Cause I had some like really good games there in that playoff series, um, with Delta and, and Port Coquitlam, um, like remember like 60 or 70 or 80 shots and like you know let in like you know five six goals like Crazy. yeah these were on smaller nets though so <laughs> hey yeah we don't need to know that <laughs> we don't they're playing on big nets now that's all yeah. they need to know yeah exactly um so i got offers from burnaby and burnaby was the best yeah i got offers um from who else um new west every victoria actually as yeah. well um, and then I ended up going with New West um, and uh, Kurt Miloski. I'm sorry, Kurt. He still hates me to this day because <laughs> I committed to him. And then I went to New West. Um, so I oh, you committed to him in Burnaby? Yeah. And then I ended up going to New West. Um, and uh, we'll blame it on Marty O'Neill because Marty O'Neill said go with New West. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's Marty's fault. So I hope you find it in your heart to forgive me, Kurt. Um, I know he won't. Maybe this will change his mind. Maybe. I doubt it, though. <laughs> he was right. He, he really didn't like me after that. So I ended up going with New West. And then I spent, um, I think, 07, 08 in New West. And then 09 would have been my last year junior. And then um, new coaching staff. And they wanted to get rid of me. And they got they tra they traded me to Burnaby for Sean Dollywall. Yep. And then Dollywall didn't want to leave Burnaby. Decided at, at like I think like a couple days before the the deadline. And I didn't want to go to Burnaby. I wanted to go to back to Delta and play with a bunch of my friends from New US that gotten traded there. Yeah. And um, 
And then it was like the day before I was meant to be just get a full release because they just kind of like put me on the inactive list. Um, they ended up trading me to Langley for like a fifth round draft pick <laughs> the next year. It was just yeah. kind of like a see you later. Yeah. And we like we were really butting heads like management from New West and coaching staff from New West, and uh, it wasn't really pretty. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up in Langley, and we were. Oh, 20 and one. We tied one game. But I actually ended up playing pretty decent there too, just because there was no pressure. I was like, yeah. who cares? So I was just having fun and, and playing, no pressure on myself there. And then I ended up going to Burnaby. They traded Finally. me to Burnaby at the, at the deadline that year of my last year junior. And um, it was me and uh, Brody McDonald. <laughs> two small guys. Yeah, two tiny guys. Um, and we were like split in time. And then towards the end, I got, uh, the majority of the time in, uh, the playoff series against Coquitlam and I ended up doing pretty decent there as yeah. well. Yeah. Do you wish you would have been able to give the NLL more? Um, no, probably not. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, if I did, who knows where I'd be now, right? Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean... I really, uh, part of me wishes I had some more success in the NLL. Like, I always, uh, like, I really struggle with the, um, like, thinking back and being like, okay, was I, like, you know, good? Or, like, did I make it to the NLL by fluke? Like, or, like, did I have the talent to be good and play at that elite level, but because I was a, a functioning addict, like, you know, kind of, it's pissed, a big mind trick. Away. Yeah. It's a big mind trick. So, I mean, that kind of, that ate at me for a bit. Like, but yeah, I don't really care. It's just a thought, yeah. like, thinking back on it. Um, you mentioned it earlier, the, the shopping doctors thing. Mm. Is that, at the time as a functioning addict, is that an easy thing to do? You had to get creative with stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As to why. Yeah, yeah, you were hurt, um, but I mean, anything that that I could do to get into a doctor, like I remember this doctor, I was in, I had a like a ingrown toenail, and uh, he's like, well, you know, we can just leave it on there and see how it goes, a toenail, or we can just take it off. And I knew right then, I'm like, okay, if this guy takes it off, he's gonna have to give me some pain medication. So right. like, those were the the types of extremes that I was willing to go to. It's um, just a nail. Yeah, right. It'll grow back. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then the, it, it w ended up that the nail wasn't infected, but yeah, it was a it was a good score for me in uh, <laughs> getting some pain meds. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, man. It from from shopping doctors to to raiding cabinets, and you think back on those times. What emotions does it bring up? I mean, like, there's some shame definitely yeah. behind that. Like, it wasn't. Um, like a really positive, like a uh, point in my life, um, but like I don't beat myself up over it. Like, but yeah, definitely like a lot of shame mm -hmm. surrounding that. Um, and like I mentioned in the story, it gotten so bad. Like I was willing to steal from whomever, mm -hmm. and my dad included, who's got like a rare form of arthritis, and that got pretty like out of control too. Where he was like, basically like taking his pain medication on his person with him wherever he went because wow. I was stealing it at any chance that I could get family members, friends, like 
you know, like if I knew that a friend had just been in a car accident, like I was like on the phone, you know, hey man, did they end up giving you any pain meds? Like just, you know, just greasy stuff like yeah. that, right? Have you mended most of those fences? Yeah, I've done, you know, um, a lot of work there. Like I, I remember I went over kind of like, uh, I think it, I'm, I believe it, um, I think it's step eight. You make amends to all the people right. you had wronged. I could be wrong here. That's. I don't go to as many NA meetings as I used to. I've kind That's of, a good thing. Yeah, it's good, and it's. I guess it could be like uh, construed as like uh, bad. Like you shouldn't need to. Um, kind of the thought process behind that is like, even when you're doing well, you should still go. And, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I just exactly. recently went to one. Right. So that was really actually really positive. So, but yeah, I remember going over all um, the amends I had to make with my my sponsor and i had like the list like wow. massive massive list and he was like all right like let's just think about all the ones that are most important mm -hmm. to you or you know like you don't have to worry about like your which are the biggest ones yeah to, like you know like with. you you know ex-girlfriend you had so many years ago like whatever right, right. so you know I, I made the really important ones mm -hmm. like you know my dad was a big one yeah how's that relationship now yeah good yeah yeah it's a little, a little bit of a struggle because uh, I'm back living with my father at 31 right. <laughs> in, in his uh, basement suite. Um, but yeah, we get along really well. That's good. Yeah. How did you get to Australia? So I had moved there with my ex-partner. Um, and um, we had met here. And she was here on, on a working holiday visa. Nice. And, um, and then she was working out at the gym that I... Um, was working at the time and now I'm currently working at again and then so her visa um had kind of ended and she had applied for another one but it was denied so we were like okay what do we do like we could either fight this and and try and get her to stay here another year or you can go home and I'll come with you and right. then so excuse me it was a pretty easy decision I was like all right let's let's just go like it was, I, at first I was like oh my god like I'm gonna have to leave everything I have, yeah. and then I was like, "Okay, this is this is cool. Like, this would be something like a new adventure, right?" Absolutely. So that yeah, we moved to to Perth because that's where her family is from originally, yeah. and then just absolutely fell in love with Perth, and then yeah, man, like never wanted to leave after that. And you ha technically haven't. You're hoping to get back there. Yeah, that's, that's all. The thanks plan. to Tinder. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so your your partner at the time, you guys break up. Yeah. While you're in Australia, mm -hmm. and now you're stuck, sort of. Like, yeah. you, did you have like a work visa while you were there? Like, how were you in Australia at the so time? So I currently, like, the, the, when I first got there, I was on a working holiday visa, and then um, we'd split up, and then um, like I notified, you know, immigration because yeah. we had actually applied for like a partnership visa, and then like, like during that process, um, I had, like, after we'd split up. I was like, you know, went on Tinder, as you naturally do. <laughs> naturally. And met my current wife. Unreal. Yeah. So, How many dates did it take? Um, pretty much the first one. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of like casually dated for a while. And then, yeah, after, you know, I'd say, I can't remember how long we had casually dated for. And then just kind of like, you know, started actually having like a real relationship. Yeah. But, uh, it was a pretty, 
pretty strong bond, yeah, from the get-go. That's awesome for you, man. Yeah. It's got to make you happy thinking about the journey. Yeah, like, um, it, I didn't really envision myself, like, being this in love with with another person. Yeah. Ever. Um, like, I don't know, I kind of, I'd had some troubles, like, I'd say not only, like, um, with drugs, but, like, with relationships as well. Like, because, mm-hmm. like, how do you have a good relationship, like, you know, being an addict? So I'd never really foreseen myself being, like, happy long-term with somebody. Right. So it's pretty special to be in that situation now and be married to yeah. a stunner like I am. Right? Yeah. You won. I did. He lucked it, out in the lady lawn lottery. Yeah. <laughs> And you got a great dog? Yeah, so um, the dog was around before me. Yeah. So I kind of like just... Adopted um, a dog, essentially. Uh, well, I was adopted into that. Fair enough, yeah. To, <laughs> Touché. Into the relationship between my wife and the dog. But I was like a pit bull owner. Yeah. Pretty much my entire life. So to transition from a pit bull to a whippet was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a bit of an extreme shift. But man, I'm like a total whippet lover now. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs are awesome. They're the best. Yeah. You got a dog, right? I do, yeah. yeah. Bear. Yeah. What He's kind from of Thailand. Dog? He's a rescue from Thailand. Yeah. So I did one of those online DNA tests, mm. and it came back unknown for his dominant DNA, mm. but then he's got Chow Chow, Shiba Inu, Alaskan Malamute, and Siberian Husky. Wow. Yeah, but he's only like 30 pounds. He's tiny, yeah. Yeah. So that's but a weird mix. It is. Mm. But he's got, I think he's got like some dingo or wild dog in him that gives him the fox look. Yeah, they kind of make gives him the crazy eyes, and people think he's coming to attack them, but he's just super excited and wants to say hi. Yeah, but that's just bear. Yeah, um, you were in Bali. Yeah, yeah. Um, how I, I've been to Bali, it was unbelievable. I loved it there. How mm-hmm. amazing is Bali? It's great, right? Yeah, yeah. I love, uh, I loved it. And I mean, like, it's just it's there's some aspects of Bali it being a third world country that are kind of hard to to deal with, especially yep. the dogs. Like being a dog Food lover. Everywhere. Man, I just wanted to adopt every bloody dog I saw. I know. Right? Um, and I ended up having, like, a relationship with this w- one dog. I, I don't know if you that. saw oh, that. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Um, Asha, um, who, man, I was pretty gutted to have to leave him behind. I bet. Yeah, but he's meant to uh, he's meant to move to Germany. Um, actually, sometime in, in February here, he's doing his last shots, and there was a woman who had found him in a rice field. And, Crazy. Uh, so he's going to go live in Germany. What a Fingers lucky crossed. dog. What a lucky yeah. dog. Yeah, man. Um, your journey has been incredible. Uh, it's been tough. It's been hard, mm. but you have gained and grown from it. What's, what's the message from it all? I don't know. It's just kind of like, uh, I, I said at the end there, like life gets better after drugs. Like, I mean, it, or alcohol or any sort of addiction, um, and especially from the work, like the introspective work, or mm-hmm. introspective work. Um, like, like I mentioned, like in the story, like how I went, I used to just think about my addiction as, you know, like being all about drugs, but like sort of went way deeper into it than that. Um, and just kind of like the self-awareness that comes from like doing the work, like it's, I don't want to say easy to stop using drugs, but that in, in the long run for me has been the easier part right. of, of the process. It's looking at yourself, um, you know, 
and kind of like tearing down your walls of, you, you know, your ego and, and, and looking at, you know, uh, how you've affected other people and, and like the selfishness that um, we kind of acquire like in, in addiction. Um, and then the kind of the steps, you know, literally the steps of doing, um, you know, like a 12 step program to kind of like break all that stuff down and like just look at yourself and, you know, mend relationships and, um, you know, the real hard work um if you do that stuff like you commit you know to having a relationship with yourself um it's pretty powerful like i mean it's helped me obviously uh a heap um and that's kind of like where life starts after that really for you know and um and there's so many people out there suffering um when it's it doesn't have to be that way mm-hmm Right. So I, I, I guess that's just trying the message I'm trying to convey. Like here I am as, you know, somebody I'm just a guy really um, who had some issues with drugs and alcohol and, you know, um, obsessive compulsive behavior and my ego and and all this kind of stuff. Um, and um, and, you know, here I am now living a better life. So, I mean, if I could do it and I'm not like, you know, special by any means, um, it's out there for everyone. You just have to want to, right? So, yeah. If all goes well and you make Team Australia mm-hmm. and you lead them to gold yeah, and someone calls from the NLL and mm-hmm. says, we'd like to invite you to camp. I don't know. That would be a tough one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready uh, <laughs> to, for the NLL. Yeah being realistic with myself. Um, but do you think do you think when you put those pads on, you get back in that game mode, not to go back to the negative stuff, but when you get that fire and you're back in the mode of playing lacrosse, that you're like, this is kind of fun again. Now that you're clean, sober, and, and of a different mindset? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I really like where I'm at with what I'm, with what I'm doing with, with CrossFit. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't write that off. <laughs> you never know. You right? never know, right? Right. So, um, but like when I was thinking about it, like um, I mentioned in that the article or whatever the write up that I did, um, that that Dan Jackman was kind of like posted, like, "Why don't you play for Australia?" And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't even really remember what the post was or how it, we got onto that. But then I started to think about it, like, because I was like. I want to do interesting things, yeah. you know? Um, and I'm like, well, this would be like cool. Like this would be like interesting. Like this is um, like something, you know, where I could have like uh, maybe a, like a legacy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't mean to sound like a, um, you know, like an egomaniac saying a legacy, but like, you know, something that I could like have, you know, to show my kids. Like Absolutely. It's, it's like a bucket list. Yeah. It's it like w- a bucket list, but also one of those great memories that you'd be able to have forever. Yeah. And that's why it really interested me. I was yeah. like, okay, well I can I was so far separated from my life of being a lacrosse player. Yeah. Cuz no one knew really not many people know like people who know me from CrossFit like not many people know th- that background. Yeah. Um and then being in Western Australia, being so far away from the game, right? Um that that was like Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah, to do like 
like to play for Team Australia, because I always wanted to play for Team Canada, but yeah, didn't we all? No, didn't really work out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, like this is a a, a pretty good opportunity absolutely to represent you know the, my home or what I consider my home um and the country that I love um I mean like not writing off Canada I mean this will be the we place of you know like I'm a, a Canadian I always will be yeah but you know like it's your I, second home you've adopted it it's yeah. become part of you yeah it's like that's my happy place like that's yeah. where I married my wife like we have a house there it's my, my all my friends are now like you know um that's awesome when we got married and well we got married at the beach but like our reception was in our backyard like awesome. that's that's yeah. my happy place right Perfect. and so i mean that country's given me um a lot of opportunity um and it'd be awesome to, to pay it back no doubt right um i know you gotta go you gotta go do a big skype interview um yeah. you know worldwide round ray hodgkinson on skype yeah you teaching skype or you just talking uh, I'm consulting with a client nice. from back home. Um, where does CrossFit take you? Are we going to see you in the CrossFit Games? No, probably not. Is that not. a goal? Is that a goal? <laughs> no, no, probably no. not. I mean, I just like, I like competing on like the local level. Um, and um, but there's like a, another level. You yeah, know, of, that's a of, different breed. Yeah, of competition out there. It's crazy. Um, and that I, I get humbled by. Right. All the time, like, you know, because I mean, there's a lot of workouts that say I would do or say that, you know, like um, anyone because everyone does the same kind of workouts, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and so, you know, like when you compare yourself to the elite of the elite in, in CrossFit, it, it, it's very, very humbling. I'm not I would imagine anywhere near that. I would imagine. Yeah. This has been awesome, man. Yeah, I man. appreciate you coming in. Um, this is a, a great story. I'm glad you were able to share it. I'm glad you still continue to share it. Mm -hmm. um, and we're all behind you 100%, man. This has been awesome. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for the invite. It's been good. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, cheers. What an incredible story from Ray Hodgkinson. And I can't thank him enough uh, for coming in studio. It's a bit of a different vibe when the person you're interviewing is right across from you. And you can see the emotion in their eyes and the feelings as they're telling their stories. It was incredible to chat with Ray. I'm so glad that he is healthy um, and that he's in a good in a good place mentally, physically, spiritually, happy with his family life, getting you know being able to repair those bonds. Um, and he kind of heard the the chuckle in his voice when he said that he's you know he had to repair the bonds with his dad and now he's having to live in his basement suite as a 31 year old and now things come full circle. I'm so happy for Ray, and it is a, a great story, and, and I, I kind of push it on him. You know, if the NLL called after the World Championships, would you come back? And you could see the pain, not pain, but the trouble of the answer he was trying to find because he didn't want to completely say no, but he understood that if he kind of gave it a second thought that that might take him back to times ago. But I think Ray is in a much better place now that even if he was to get into a lacrosse locker room and the lifestyle of a lacrosse player, that he would be able to handle himself, no doubt. It's funny because the lifestyle of a lacrosse player has changed. 
being a guy that doesn't want to go out and drink after a game isn't that odd anymore. The In Ray's article uh, on Lax All-Stars, he said one of the reasons that kept him in lacrosse was being with the guys and hanging out with the guys after and the lifestyle. That's not so much the case anymore. Guys are taking lacrosse a lot more seriously. It's not a, as soon as the game's over, let's go and get absolutely wasted and party all night. That's not the M.O. of the lacrosse player anymore. Sure, guys are having pints after the game and catching up, but it's a different lifestyle. And I think that if Ray got the opportunity and he had the full support of all the people in his camp, he would do just fine. But as you heard him say, he's in a really good spot in his life right now. And I think that playing in the world indoors would be an incredible bucket list and memory for him, something that he could tell his kids and his kids could tell their kids and on down the line. I think it's a, a great opportunity for him. And you, you heard him say, an, a chance to give back to Australia, the country that has given him back his life, in a sense, and given him so much. And it was just a, a wonderful chat. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm so thankful that Ray was able to come in and we were able to do this face-to-face. Uh, probably wouldn't have had the same effect and tone if we were doing it over the phone line. Um, so I, I couldn't be more thrilled to have Ray come in the studio Again, if you haven't read his story, uh, I've posted it on Twitter. It's on Facebook. You can just go to Lax All-Stars. Um, it's there. It is an incredible read. It's, it's dark. It's eye-opening. It's inspiring. And just raise a very inspiring human being. Follow him on Instagram. Not just because he's jacked and makes me look like a mere mortal. Because he's positive, he's happy, and everything he's doing, you can see that smile shine through. And it is incredible to see that smile shine. That's going to about do it. Uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, there are five games on the NLL docket this week, and it starts Friday, Vancouver at San Diego as the Seals get back at it. They're going to play Vancouver for the second time this year. Uh, four games on Saturday, Colorado at Philly. A huge game for both those clubs. Rochester at New England, a game that could really be for that fourth playoff spot come the end of the year. And then you got Buffalo at Georgia, Calgary at Saskatchewan. Both those games are going to be fantastic. Every game this weekend has key implications and matchups, so make sure you head over to BR Live, download the app, subscribe, and watch every single one of the games. I know I will be comfortably on my couch watching as many as I can. Thanks to Cam Holding, thanks to Pat Gregoire, and a big special thanks to Ray Hodgkinson for coming in and joining me live here in studio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. You can find me on Instagram, Teddy Knight. And you can also email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games, everybody. And as always, be excellent to each other.